Welcome to the Gathering at Adel. Today's message is from the book of Philippians. We'll look at chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. All right, here we go. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14. It says, uh, starting in verse 12, Paul is talking. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So this is a great, great topic here. Uh, It's about running and a race and all that. It might come as a shock to you. I am not a runner. Uh, If you ever come across me running, there's somebody chasing me, and you need to help me out. Don't, don't be like at a marathon and, you can do it, Jeff, keep going. No, trip somebody, throw something in their way because they are coming after me. And it might be the police, who knows, but just help me out. Give me a little space, you know. Uh, I, I did used to run track, and uh, one, one of my, my best friend in high school, his name was uh, Eddie Gallegos, and Eddie had to run the two-mile and the one-mile with me. And, but Eddie hated the two-mile and the one-mile. I, at that point, I was 100 pounds lighter. I kind of enjoyed it. But, like, what would happen is, and, and Eddie, Eddie had a pace a little bit faster than a turtle, and he only did it because it was required to, you're going to run track if you play football. And so you didn't get to just do field events like some people get to nowadays. You had to actually run f- events and, you know, and races. And so Eddie would run the two mile at about like this. I would lap Eddie twice on the two mile, okay? And so, but what I would do is, as I was coming, his nickname in high school was Fred, so it's weird for me to call him Eddie, but I just called him Fred my entire life still. And so what I would do is I, I, I it's a small town, so it's not like I was actually like blazing fast, but, but I won most of the races, two mile and mile that I ran. But what would happen is Eddie, at about the third lap, I'd be passing Eddie already, and I'd say, hey, Fred, there's two guys behind me, don't let them pass. I mean, that was just our prearranged deal. And so Eddie, would, Fred, he'd be running real slow, and all of a sudden I'd pass, and I'd be like, all right, there's two guys 15 yards back, don't let them pass. And so I'd pass, and I'm going, and so all of a sudden Eddie, like, kicked into another gear, right? And he'd start running, and those guys would try to pass him, and he'd run them this way, run them that way. There were a couple times Fred got disqualified because he ran people off the track. He didn't care. Like, he's like, do I, am I disqualified now? Can I stop now or do I have to finish the race? And the coach would make him finish the race. But he would run people off the track. And it was, a, it was my ace in the hole, you know. And we, we got warned at it one time at district. The, the, guy, the, the host said, okay, look, if anybody from your team is disqualified, everybody on the team is disqualified. I was like, Pfft. That's not fair. I don't know if I can win this thing fair or square, you know. But, like, I can remember I, I started running seventh grade. We, we did, like, the Tarleton relays. And so you would go out Monday night, and it's all the small towns. And uh, I can remember seventh grade, man, I was, like, four foot 80 pounds, you know. Like, I was tiny, just as a little kid. And the coach came to me, and he was like, hey, I think you should run the mile and a half. I was like, Yeah. I think that's great. Had no clue. You know, you're seventh grade, you're just happy to be there and not at home. And so I'm like, cool. 
So we start off, and, and I have no idea about lap times, pace, endurance. I'm seventh grade, right? I mean, we, we all know. The picture you're thinking of a seventh grade boy, that's me, right? And so we're running. We start off, and you get three-fourths of the way around, and then you come to the home stretch, and people are cheering. They're like, all right, come on, Jeff. You can do it. You can do it. And I'm like, yeah, I can. So I was just like, I start running faster. I get, Phew. You know, that, that last 100 meters of the first lap. And I'm coming to the first lap, and the guy's holding up five. And I'm like, I stop. I'm like, what? He goes, five more. I was like, oh, okay. So, like, I, I, I run three quarters more, and then, you know, you're like, this is dumb. What am I doing? You're going slower now. And then all of a sudden, you get to the home stretch, and people are like, come on, Jeff, you can do it. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, and so I, I like, jogged three quarters and then sprinted the last every lap because he was like four. I was like, okay, we got this. I, I figured it out. And, and from that race, and like, I, as strange as it is, I did win the race because I was racing a bunch of seventh grade boys who were also clueless, just got thrown in by their football coach. From that moment on for the next six years, I was the long distance runner. It meant cross country, three miles. It meant mile and two mile every track meet. The beauty of it is, and, and the, the hard part, the two mile is at like 9 a.m. It's the first race. You do the two mile, and then you do all the field events, all the prelim running, the final running, and then the next to last race is the mile. So like, I would run the, the two mile at 9 a.m. By 9.12, I'm done. The, the one mile is at like 6.30 or 7 that night. And so then I'm just like, this is so dumb. <laughs> like, why do they do this? Can I not just, and so this is pre-cell phone, right? Like, there's nothing to do. You just stare at the sky. There's, to watch other people do things. I didn't even do field events. Like, it was so dumb. But not a runner. This is what we're talking about today. My wife is a runner. She started, she started running. She picked it up. Was a runner. She, she did it, 5K, 10K, half. Did you ever do a full marathon? I wouldn't let her. It's too bad. But Lauren could do a, you should have, you know? <laughs> I don't know, just start now and I'll come pick you up in a minute. You know, like, and my wife started running and then all of a sudden, like, in my flesh, I was like, half marathon, 13.1, like, I can do this. And so one morning, one morning I wake up and I'm like, you know, no training, no, no water consumption, nothing. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. My wife, 13.1 miles. I can do this. Haven't ran, but can't be that hard. And I, I take off. I've got a route. I'm going to go Strawn, Dominguez is five miles, down to the other road, three miles, and then back to Strawn, five miles. No big deal, right? 13.1 miles. And I, I get out. Boom, hit Davidson Cemetery Road, and I get about three quarters of a mile. And I'm like, hmm, why am I doing this? Like, to prove what? <laughs> and, and also, I didn't say it that calmly. I was huffing and puffing. I'm like, not only why am I doing this, but I don't think I can do this. Like, I don't think I can do that to there. Like, that's going to be, that's my death right there. And so at that point, I just go, all right, I'm done. I turn around and I walk home. <laughs> and I can remember Lauren's face. <laughs> I walk in the house. <laughs> She's like, how far did you get? I go, nah, just, just a little bit past uh, Connie's house. Not too far. <laughs> just there. 
decided to walk on back, you know? Like, it's not, it's not fun. Running is not fun. That's why, like, when you look at, like, the, the, the Christian walk, like, the, the life, I mean, so many times it's compared to running a race, you know? Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin so that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Again, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Galatians says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? And then there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me read that to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, Do you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? He says, run in such a way as to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself may not be disqualified. It's not for the weak, for the half committed or the lazy. Living a life worthy of the gospel is difficult, it's demanding, it's challenging. You don't just get out and decide to run 13.1 miles. You're going to end up walking back. I can promise you that. You don't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to serve the Lord today. And then all of a sudden, it's like, man, that was the best day ever. It's difficult. It's demanding. It's full of heartbreak. It's full of joy. If you're halfway committed, you're not going to make it. That's why the Bible calls it, Jesus said, it's, it's the narrow road with a small gate. Today's passage, Philippians 3, 12 through 14, it says, I'll read it again. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's talking about the race, but he says, hey, not, not that I've already attained the prize or that I've already reached the goal or that I've already been made perfect, but I forget what is behind. I reach forward and I pursue it. You see that, that, first of all, we have to realize what is the goal? What is the Christian race? What is this life really about? Like, like, you will never reach the goal if you don't know where you're going. Like, like if you don't know what the end point is, you'll never reach it. You, you have to have that set out before you even start. The, the goal, and Paul talks about it earlier in, in chapter, 12, uh, chapter 3, he talks about what, what, what is the goal. He said, he said I, I've attained everything. I was the best of the best of the best. I was exactly who I was supposed to be. I was doing everything right. And he said, but I consider that all rubbish, except knowing him and him crucified. You see that, that if we're going to run this race, if, if we know what we're going to be setting our eyes on, setting our gaze on, then we have to know that the goal is to, to know him and to be known by him. Th th this whole life is not about 401ks and vacations and big fancy cars and getting your kids out of the house and college degrees and married and they're set and they're doing what's right. It's not about reaching your neighborhood for the lost. It's not about going on mission trips. It's not about attending church and writing tithe checks and serving at Center of Hope. It's not about that. 
It's about knowing God and being known by him. To know God, the Hebrew word is yada. Y-A-D-A, yada. And it's like the intimate knowledge of somebody. It's like we all know about God. We can all tell you all the stories about who God is. But, but that's not what it means to know him. To know him is an intimate thing. The, the word yada means to know as a husband knows a wife. To be intimate with God as a husband is intimate with a wife. To, to know everything about him. To be fully exposed before him. You see that Adam and Eve knew God. They walked with him in the cool of the day and they walked before the Lord and before each other, and they were naked without shame. You see that our walk with the Lord is to be that we are fully exposed before him and before others. That, that, that I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, and it's not like my checkbook's over here, and he doesn't, know how I, he doesn't, he doesn't have to know how I spend my money. Oh, oh it, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, Lord, I love you, but, but I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to give to the poor and the needy. The, the person that's there, they're, they're fine. Somebody else will come along. Not that we say it in those specific terms, but we say it with the way that we budget and the way that we spend our money. We don't have to say it with our words, but we say it with our lives. We say, oh, oh Lord, I, I love you and I'll follow after you. I'll walk with you. Oh, oh, but I'm just going to keep this secret addiction over here that nobody knows about. You see, to, to know God, to, to yada God, means to be fully exposed before him. The, the prize is to be known by him. Not, not only like, oh yeah, he knows us all by name, right? He knows the number of hairs on our head that we were wonderfully made, right? But to be known by him so that, so that our names are in the Lamb's book of life. To be known by him so, so that he looks at us on that day and he says, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. The prize that we're running for is to know him and to be known by him. And can I promise you that when you get all of that situated, everything else that you think you're supposed to do will all fall into place. You want to reach your neighborhood for the lost? Know God and be known by him. And you won't have to say a single word. They'll know who God is by looking at your life. You, you, you want to have... A good life. You want your kids to grow up and, and, and get college degrees and marry and do all the things. Know God and be known by Him. That's why Jesus said, hey, hey, don't worry about all the other things, right? And in Matthew chapter 6, He says, hey, don't worry about that. You see the birds, they don't worry about that. They don't care where the food and the clothes and all that. So don't, don't worry. What good is it? He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You see that, that if we run in such a way as to get the prize to know him and to be known by him, does that mean that everything's going to be perfect, that none of our kids are ever going to go astray, that, that they're never going to be diagnosed with an illness, that there's not going to be heartbreak and disappointment? Absolutely not. But when you're known by him and when you know him, then you're settled and you're sturdy. That, that way when something happens, when there's tragedy, you're not shaken. You, you don't have to go, who is God? What is he thinking? When tragedy happens, you just go, man, Father, I know you're good. I know your plans for me are good. That you work all things together for the benefit of those who love you and who are called according to your purposes. And I don't understand this. I don't understand how you could do that. And I don't understand how this could happen. 
But can I tell you, on, on the other side of heaven, you will. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But when you know God, you're settled. He says that, that we must press on, that we must take hold. You know, that, that in this walk with the Lord, that we have to have the mindset of Christ followers, that we will not be denied, that nothing will stand in the way of us reaching our goal of attaining the prize. The race as a Christ follower is demanding, difficult. It's the narrow path. It's demanding and draining. There's no doubt for, there's no room for doubt or wavering. You see that Paul says, I, I, I press on, I make every effort, I take hold of it. You see that, that you have to have the mindset that I'm not going to allow this into my life, into my family's life. You think if you're going to run the race that's worthy of the gospel, if you're going to do, press on, if you're going to take hold of it, you cannot be lazy about your faith. As soon as you're lazy about your faith, sin will creep right in. As soon as, soon as you get, like you're, you're overtired, overworked, you don't feel like you're loved and valued, all of a sudden, boom, the enemy creeps in. As soon as you take a step back, then all of a sudden that gives the enemy a foothold to work in your life. Revelation chapter three in the letter to the church at Laodicea, Jesus called them out for being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And he said, I would rather you be hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, I'm gonna chew you up and vomit you out of my mouth. You see, the, the, the Christian walk, we cannot be lukewarm. We have to press on, we have to keep moving forward, never looking back. Paul said, but one thing I do is I forget what is behind. When a runner glances back, even slightly, there's a momentary loss of focus and rhythm, which incurs a loss of a few seconds or even a fraction of a second. You see that, that when we stop and we look back, even just a glance back, we lose focus and we lose rhythm. All of a sudden we say, oh, well, what about this? Oh. As soon as we stop and we pause and we look back, it allows the enemy into our lives. There, there's a, uh, there was a, a race back in 1954. It's called the Miracle Mile. It's between two guys, uh, Roger Bannister and John Landy. And uh, it was the British Empire Games in Vancouver in 1954. And these two guys were the only two guys at the time that had ran sub four minute miles. So that's under 60 seconds per lap for four laps. That's ridiculous. Right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, hop on a track tonight and then you'll go, okay, that was impressive, right? The only two guys at the time that could run four, sub four minute miles. And, and so they're racing in, in, the, in the British Empire Games. And it, it's one of the, the greatest races that you'll ever hear about. And John Landy was the most recent one to do it. He, Roger Bannister had the record, John Landy uh, uh, broke it. And so they're racing against each other. And it says that John Landy set out and he got like a 10-meter lead. By the third lap, it was 15-meter lead. Like, I mean, 15 meters is a pretty good distance. It looked like it was over. By the end of the third lap, Bannister had closed it into a 10-meter gap. And it said that Bannister, at that moment, he, he has a thought, he has a biography that you can read about it. And he said, at that moment, I could have lost confidence. But I just kept on, I pressed on, I didn't give in. 
And they're, they're coming into the last 100 meters, that, that home stretch. And because of the sun and the way that it was looked at, John Landy said in his biography, he said, the shadow, it looked like he was way behind me. It looked like Bannister was way behind him. And so all of a sudden, and there, there's, a, there's a statue of it, all of a sudden that last home stretch, he turns for a fraction of a second and he looks this way. And at the moment that he looked that way, Roger Bannister passed him. And there's a statue where Landy is doing this just ever so slightly and, and Bannister is right past him and, and he outkicks him and he, he wins. At that time, it was the only two, it was the only race that had two sub-minute, the, 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 both finishers had sub-four-minute miles. It was a race, but, but the lesson in is that that one glance back, that one look like, oh, hey, are you there? Cost him the race. That one look back when you go, hmm, maybe that was better when I was back there. Or, or oh, let, let, me, let me go back to alcohol. Let me go back to pornography. Let, let me go back to being greedy with my money. Just, just for an instant, and the enemy will pass you. He'll overtake you. Genesis chapter 19, the, the Lord's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his family sends two angels there to warn him, and he says, hey, get out, for I'm about to destroy this, this place. And they're like, no, no, stop. Let's come spend the night with us. The next morning they wake up, and the angel said, you, you need to take your wife, your kids, your son-in-laws, everybody, and you need to leave because I'm about to wipe this place off. And he says, I want you to go over there. And he says, I want you to run. Don't look back and don't stop. I want you to run. So at this point, Lot assumes he's pretty serious. Lot gathers them all up and they take off. And it says that as they're on their journey, it says all of a sudden fire, sulfur begin to fall from heaven. And Lot's wife, you can't blame her. I mean, I know sometimes we make victims out of this, but, but there's fire in heaven, fire and sulfur coming down from heaven, destroying what was your home. And all she does, she looks back. In an instant, she's turned into a pillar of salt. I, you could be like, man, Lord, that is harsh. But when we look back, we're saying that we would rather have that than what he has for us. You see, Jesus is talking in, jo in Luke chapter 9. <laughs> Sorry, that was awkward. <laughs> I'm put some WD-40 on this thing here. <laughs> Those people that listen to the sermon after this are going to be like clueless. What just happened? I'll have to cut that out, you know. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is talking, and it says that the people that were following him, some of his disciples, not, not one of the 12, but, but some of the disciples said it, man, Lord, we'll go wherever you go. You know, like, I mean, they were fired up and like, man, this guy is good. And he said, we'll go wherever you go, expecting Jesus to say, yeah, let's do it. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Like, oh, snap, okay. And then, then Jesus looks at, at another one and says, hey, you follow me. I'll do it. Hey, let me go, let me go bury my dad. Uh, I'll, just, I'll be right back. I'll catch you over there. GPS, just drop a pin. I'll find you. Like, we'll figure it out. And Jesus said, hey, let the dead bury the, their own dead. 
Then he looks at, and then another one looks at him and says, man, I'll follow you, Jesus. But, but let me just go home, say goodbye, set things straight. I got to set some things in order for the family, and then I'll catch you. Jesus said that anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's pretty harsh words. But there's something in the looking back because we lose focus and we lose rhythm. You think, oh, it's no big deal. I'll just, I'll just turn back to this. Oh, just, just for a little bit. Oh, it's okay. Oh, I, I, I can control myself. I, I can have one beer. I can have one cigarette. It's fine. I, I can stop it. I, I have it under control. But it's one momentary glance back that costs us. The life of a Christ follower requires complete surrender. No turning back, no doubting, no wavering. The next thing he says is he says, uh, forgetting what is behind, reaching forward. When you're running, if, if you find yourself running, and, and I hope maybe you do, maybe the Lord calls you to that. Not me yet, but when you're running, a tip or a trick is to focus on something in the distance. You know, you, you start... Mine was a little bit different, but running around a lap. But you kind of just set your eyes on something a little bit further up, high in the sky, and that, that's 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 all you focus on. You know, I, it was the same thing when, when I, w- I was a kicker uh, for the football team, and same thing. You come back, you you take your steps, then you look at the you look at the point right between the two uprights, you down, and then you kick, and you never look up again. Because what happens is when you're running, if you, if you focus on, if, if you're running, especially long distances, and, and all you're thinking about is making it to that stop sign, well, when you get to the stop sign, you're, you're going to let up, you're going to ease up, you're, you're going to question. You know, maybe you had seven miles destined for you, but, but that stop sign's three, and you're like, okay, if I can just make it to the stop sign, if I can just make it to the stop sign... But what happens is then you get to the stop sign and then you're more likely to convince yourself to quit running because you've made it to the stop sign. You've set a lesser goal. Hey, if I can just make it to the stop sign, because you say, hey, who else is out there running three miles today, right? Nobody else. You start comparing yourself to others. But when you set a lesser goal, you're settling for what the Lord has for you. You're settling for less than what he has planned for you. That's why you, you focus it on something in the distance, almost unattainable, and that's all you do. You know, when, when you're running and you're doing that, you're not sitting there thinking. I mean, especially if you're running in such a way as to win the prize, right? You're not thinking about, oh, what else do I have to do today? Uh, do we need bread or do we need any more groceries? Oh, I forgot to fill up my gas. When's the last time I changed my oil? Oh, you know, like you're not thinking about those things. You're, you're reaching ahead to what, what is there. You set your eyes on that, your eyes on the prize. You know, and, and, the gain, and the same goes for the race as Christ followers. If we lower our goal, then when we reach the lower goal, we will tend to pause or stop. We'll take a break. We're like, hey, we're good. I made it this far. Look at that. And then we'll, then we'll be a little bit, bit too confident in ourselves. And we'll go back to the old ways. We must keep our eyes on the prize. You see that we can't afford to be short-sighted in the race as a Christ follower. We have to remember we're running this race to know him and to be known by him. Nothing else. I'm not looking to the, my right, but your left or to the right. 
not looking behind us, but our eyes are on straight ahead on where we're headed and where we're going. And, and that, that's in the short term, that, that's in every minute, every second, every hour of every day, but then it's also in every day and every week and every month. I, I'm pursuing him right there. It, it's, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. It's a sprint to the stop sign and then you give up. You have to have your mindset as a marathon. He says, I forget what is behind me and I reach forward to what is ahead. And he says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. We are to relentlessly pursue him, to not let anything stand in our way. When you are running a race in such a way to get the prize, you're not thinking about anything else. You have to be single-minded in your pursuit. That's why it says in Isaiah chapter 50, he says, I set my face like flint. Jesus, it talks about in the Gospels, like when he got to the place, when he knew his time was com coming to an end, it says that he set his face on Jerusalem. To set your face like flint or to set your face, you know, they, they use that, that thought of, of flint because it's hard. It, it, you strike it, it doesn't brittle, it doesn't break, it doesn't come apart. You strike it and it's hard, you're resolute. Like when you say, I set my face like flint on the Lord, it means like it doesn't matter what the world throws at me. I'm not going to lose focus. I'm not going to go, oh, no, what's happening over here in Ukraine? I'm here. Oh, no, what's happening over here? There's a food shortage, a coin shortage, toilet paper shortage. Oh, no. It doesn't matter. Because I set my face like flint. Oh, oh, I'm sick. Should I doubt God? Oh, my, my husband doesn't love me. Should I doubt God? Oh, this and oh, that. I set my face like flint. Single-minded pursuit. If that it becomes your focus, Everything will fall into place. There's a guy named Eric Liddell. He ran in the 1924 Olympics. He, uh, his best race was the 100-meter dash, 100-meter race. The finals were on, or like the heat and the prelims were on a Sunday. So he said, I, I, I don't run. I'm not going to run on a Sunday. He, he was a devout Christian he started training for the 200 and the 400. He ran the 200, got third place. He got the bronze medal. It came time for the, the 400 meter race. Not his best race. He hadn't really ever ran it. This was the time right here. He was going to do it in, in the Olympics, 1924 in Paris. As he's getting ready, the masseuse comes up and he's stretching them, getting them ready. Somebody that, that admitted he wasn't a Christian, but he just knew that Eric Liddell was, and he hands him a note. You know, I mean, can you imagine, like, doubting, like, uh, is this the right thing? Should I be doing this? Is it, is it really kind of dumb, like, that I'm drawing a line in the sand, not run on Sunday? It is the Olympics. Obviously, God knows this is really important. But the guy handed him a note and said, because you have honored me, I will honor you. And it says that he... He, get, he sets out the 400-meter race, one lap around. He gets down in the blocks. And because he was inspired by the letter, it says that he came out of the blocks at such a pace that it caused two of the other racers to stumble, trying to keep up with them. And he ran the race, and he got first place. He set the world record, the Olympic record, for, for the 400-meter race at 47.6 seconds. That's fast. That's fast. That's my 200, maybe, on a good day. 
After the Olympics, he went to China. He became a missionary. Married, had three kids. 1941, the, the war had started to get pretty bad over there. So he sent his wife and his three kids, three daughters, to Canada. Eric Liddell stayed there to be a missionary to serve the Lord. He was taken to an intern camp. He continued to serve the Lord. It says that at, at the time of his passing, it says that no, no man could say anything bad about Eric Liddell. It, this one guy that was interviewed said that there's not one time that I can think of, and I'm positive of it, that I ever heard Eric Liddell say a bad word about anybody. You see that through that, even in the middle of an intern camp, he led Bible study. He led people to the Lord. You see, even though the 1924 Olympics was a defining moment in his athletic career, it meant nothing to him. They made a movie about him in 1981 called Chariots of Fire. It's about his story of him running in the Olympics. You see that we are to run in such a way that it inspires others and challenges them to do, a, do the same. We're to, we're, to, we're to be running at such a pace that it causes others to stumble to keep up with us. Like people are like, dang, Jeff, calm down. Where, where are you trying to get to? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're for real. Like, like, like this is every day. This isn't just like on Sundays. Like that, that's not the way, you're, oh, you're for real. Okay, so, so like this is, okay, I see. We're, we're to run in such a way that it challenges and inspires people to do better. We're going to end with the application. Can I, can I remind you to, to keep your eyes on the prize, to know him, to be known by him? There's three, three different things, the past, the future, and the present. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Do not look back. You cannot allow your past to disqualify you from your future. You see that? I don't know what you said, did, thought, the way you acted in the past, but it does not disqualify you from the future. Paul persecuted, crucified Christians. But yet, here he is. And, and I know probably some of y'all have done some bad things. I've done some bad things. But I, I ain't been that bad, right? Like, I'm, I'm not out killing people, persecuting them for their faith. And No. You cannot let your past disqualify you from your future. I mean, there, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says that if you follow after me, that you will walk in light, that you will never walk in darkness again. Can I, can I encourage you today, if you're gonna run the race in such a way to get a prize, you cannot be running, looking back and holding on to all of those things. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us run the race and let us throw off the things that so easily entangle us and the sin that hinders us. If you're gonna run in such a way to get the prize, you're gonna have to let the past be in the past. You're going to have to go, you know what? I did it. I messed up. You repent and you move on. You see that he says forgetting 
what is behind you. You know that when you repent of your sins, it says that the Lord forgets them. He remembers them no more. Now, now do we truly believe that the Lord has a bad memory? Or do we really believe that the word means that I will hold it against you no longer? He says, I remember your sins no more. I no longer hold them against you. The debt has been paid. The certificate of debt has been satisfied. So when we say forgetting what is behind, we don't say, oh, yeah, we just forget about that. I can't even remember that. It says, what was in my past is not held against me. What happened in the past does not determine your future. But can I also tell you that we cannot live in the past either? We, we don't get to dwell on the past's failures, but we don't get to live on the past's goodness. You see that, that the past victories. Oh, man, I was so good. I Loving the Lord, doing all that. Great. Today's a new day. You know that, that when the Lord provided manna, could the Lord have provided manna that didn't go bad, that would have lasted 40 years for everybody? Absolutely. But it says that he brought fresh manna every day. Except on Saturday, and then you got to collect twice. I know, whatever. Right? But like, every day, fresh manna. And what happened if it got carried over to the next day? Do y'all remember? Spoiled. Worms. No good. Can I tell you that today, you, don't, you can't live on yesterdays? Like the word that spoke to you yesterday that was like, man, that was so good. And then you don't pick up the word again for seven days? That same word that you got yesterday that was life-giving can spoil and rotten. You don't get to dwell on the past, but you also don't get to live in the past. You hear those guys talking about like, man, I wish I could just go back to high school. The best days of my life, you know, and I'm sitting there going, what? Why would you do that? You know, because like they're living in their past successes and their past victories and like, that was the best time of my life. That's because you're missing out on what is right now. Today is the best day of your life. You don't get to live with the regrets, but you don't get to live with the victories either. Repent and move forward. Eat the fresh manna daily. The future, he says, I reach forward to what is ahead. Can, can I tell you that, that don't lose sight? How, how am I going to take this today? How am I going to apply this today to my life, to my walk, to my family, to my job? How am I going to do that? Do not lose focus. Pick a point and look at it, stare at it. Set your gaze, set your face as if flint and do not waver. Do not look to the left, to the right. Do not look back and just go all, at, all in. Pursue him with everything you've got. The way to do that is to stay eternally minded. Don't lower the goal to earthly things. But he says, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Your focus is on eternal things. The way that you spend your money, if you're not careful and you set your goal at lower, then all of a sudden you'll lower the goal that God has for you and for your finances. If all of a sudden you start to look at your budget and you're like, it's a little bit tight this month, I'm not going to give so that I make sure I have enough. You've, right there, you've lowered the bar. You've become short-sighted in your race. Right? If you lower the bar of, oh, well, this is okay because it's just going to be one time, it's not okay. You're lowering the bar. Stay focused. Don't give in. Be eternally minded and in the present. 
He says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Narrow your focus and you will accomplish more. We're out here trying to do all the things and we get nothing done. There's, an, there's a saying, I'm sure they probably have it in Poolville. You know, if you chase two rabbits, you'll catch none. Right? That wasn't a shot on Poolville. We, we say it in Strawn. <laughs> right? If you chase two rabbits... You'll catch none. And so many times we run the race as if we're chasing to, we'll go here, go here. Okay, you know, we, we, the first of the year comes around and we go, okay, we got our new Bible, new journal, new pen, new highlighters. We're going to do this and do that. And all the things, I'm going to memorize some scripture and I'm going to listen to three podcasts. And, and you know what happens? January 3rd comes around. You ain't done nothing. You gave up because it's too much. You're out there chasing too many rabbits. Can I encourage you in the present, narrow your focus. Get out your Bible, get out a pad of paper. Open up the word, whether it's in Philippians or Matthew or wherever. Read until the Lord speaks something to you. When he speaks something to you, and you could have read two words and then it's like, not that I. Okay, that was awesome. Whatever. Journal on that. Pray into that. Commit to that, and then be done. Now, if, if you have time, to, more time, hey, do more. But, but if that's where you are, if that's where you're starting, read until the Lord speaks, write it down, write a prayer, pray, done. Don't, don't think that you have to live up to all these standards. Narrow your focus, and you will accomplish more. We're going to end with a Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4. Verses 25 through 27, it says, Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Consider carefully the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. I wrote down beside there, I really don't know when I went through this, but I, but I wrote through, down there beside, and the Lord brought it to my, to my mind. But it says, Will this path take me to the place God is calling me to go? In the present, narrow your focus and you'll accomplish more. That verse 26 says, carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Is the path that I'm headed down, is that going to get me to where God is calling me to go? And if it's not, stop, repent, get on the other path. Plain and simple. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. Thank you for a group of people here today. Father, pray blessings over them. Father, we just pray that, that throughout the week, Father, that we would continue to run in such a way as to get the prize. Father, Father, I pray that we would just keep our eyes focused on you. Show us what that looks like. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.